guess I need my microphone. Uh -oh, oh, 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 oh. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. It's been so long, man. We're back. It's been about a year, a year or so since we did this show the last time, you know. We're back. And we're together. We're in the same space, the same place, the same time. Yay. Face to face. Face to face. I'll have to get better at that again. Practice. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. Hi, Felix. Hi, Al. Hi, everybody. Wow. Beyond words. Version 2.0. <laughs> 3.0, really. Yeah, I mean, we've done this across the world. Not only from, well, we started here in Peru, face-to-face -face like we're doing now. In 2020. And then you went to Berlin. Mm -hmm. And so we did it from here to Berlin. We should have done it in this, just one episode in the States. When, when I was you were in the, the States. Yeah. We got we to gotta hear what the state vibe is like. Yeah, man. Yeah, I say it's, ep it's version three because version one was when we were here in 2020. Version two was when we were doing it remotely. We only did like maybe four, three or four, I think. Or something. Maybe, yeah, three or four. And now we're here. Yeah, it was remotely was hard. Just not the same. Zoom, yeah. the delays, the yeah, just not being face to face. There, the, the the just a slight delay in conversation changes the whole dynamic. It's doesn't feel as connected and present. And half the time, I'm guessing what you said because it froze or cut off. So there's something more. Like tangible, organic. We're here, yeah, together. It's an organic podcast. Back under Pitusirai. Back under Pitusirai. Yeah, so good to be back. It's been been back uh, almost two months now, and uh, yeah, it was a good decision. We got to hear about this journey, man. You've been all over the world, still in a pandemic. You did. Not only have you been to Africa and back to Peru in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, I guess are we technically still in the middle of this pandemic? I think it depends who you ask. Right. I don't want to say in the middle of pandemic, actually. A lot of people are done with it, but some people are holding on. Well, it's fun, right? Fear is fun. <laughs> yeah. it's very comforting. We get face designs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I, to me, it's, we're done. We're over. We're I done agree. with it. Let's, let's officially declare that on the podcast. The pandemic is over, folks. It's over. You don't need to look anywhere else anymore. If you're listening to the Felix authorities, now. We've we've declared we've it's over. Yeah, <laughs> fuck your governments and your scientists. You know we're the we're telling you it's over. You can we can all relax. But if you're listening to this show, you probably feel the same way. I would imagine. I would hope so. Well, maybe. maybe. Actually, who knows? Who, who knows cares what, what people have been through? You can think and whatever you want. If I got if I'd gotten super sick with COVID, maybe I wouldn't feel like it's over yet. You know, if I was still, you know, some people are still feel weird after having had it six months ago. So. But it's over, man. Whatever. The the part that's over to me is the uh, all the bullshit, the rules, the lockdowns. Like, just done with it. If if anyone tries to do that again, I'm not buying it. <laughs> At this stage, no. At this stage, no. We know enough. We know enough. We know who's most vulnerable. We know uh, where we we know enough to 
take personal responsibility and assume the risk that we want to assume. And it's really not anyone, anyone else's hands at this point to determine what risk I want to take with my life and my body. So, And the fear of death has passed. You're not going to die anymore. Ever? <laughs> but that's what I felt like it was. Like, honestly, like, I think I shared on this podcast was at one point I just looked around and realized with these people who were in two masks and a face visor and <clears throat> they had gloves on and a full body suit, I realized, wow, you know, somebody scared the shit out of these people. Yeah. Like, to the bone. Like, they thought they were going to die every day, every second of every day. There's still people who think that. Yeah. And I, I don't want to live my life that no. way. And I think it's one thing to be scared senseless because I, I think there are some people that are scared because either they got say, really sick or someone they know. <clears throat> but the vast majority of people are scared because they just swallowed a lot of information that made them scared. And yeah, like I was just saying before we recorded, like seeing little kids walking around outside with masks on, it's like... It's it's got it's got to be more harmful than good. I forget who was sharing this, uh, where I heard this, probably some podcast, but uh, that some kid uh, who's maybe four years old now, you know, half of his life has been in the pandemic, and his dad uh, took off his mask, and the kid started crying. He was scared because he's so used to the masks. So, like, what is like what is the long term repercussion impact of? especially children growing up with this who knew nothing else and who are just, yeah, taught to be afraid of their other people around them and, uh, you know, afraid of this invisible enemy. And uh, the the impact, apparently it's impacted children's, like, speech, like the ability to speak and communicate because babies, kids rely on, like, facial recognition cues, seeing expressions and they didn't get to see that at the most important time of their evolution and development so like what's that gonna do you know yeah like what is this generation gonna grow into yeah i mean even the generation what do they call them gen z or what's what's after gen z uh i guess it starts over at a (laughs) 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 gen gen a (laughs) Or this newest generation, or newer generation. I'd say, like, my brother's generation. Mm-hmm. Like, was already he? quite antisocial. Like, they were pretty... Shut. I mean, he's 18 now. So, antisocial meaning that they're just all on the internet and using Snapchat. He would prefer not to... Ju- I mean, even if we did or Zoom, he would prefer not to see TikTok. my face. Right. Like, he'd prefer to text me. Right. So, it's already a very antisocial, like, generation. And then you add a pandemic and isolation. And I think there was a, a live broadcast... Where this guy was, they were asking, oh, well, you know, these pandemics or the way we locked things down and the way we, we interacted with this pandemic is actually what saved all these lives. And this man gets up and he's like, that's completely incorrect. We did so much more damage with the lockdowns. I mean, we're now paying the price. If you look at gas prices, if you look at uh, food prices, still my mom is telling me in, in the U.S. that there's no food on the shelves. Like, there's food on the shelves, but nothing like back in the day. Mm. That's terrifying. And it and it's not necessary. There's enough food growing. So it's either incompetence or intentional that there's these talk of food shortages. You know, the, the earth can easily provide for, I, th- I think, triple the population we have now, at least. 
so it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I feel like, you know, like you said, uh, it's like reality is split into two, and the guy who says that it's all these lockdown stuff that saved us is living in a very different reality than you and I, whereas I, to me it's really obvious that it caused a lot of harm. So like... Like blatantly. Blatantly. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, you know, I think the the past two years I've been trying for a while. I was just like, so in my corner about this and on my side, you know, and all, all the people who are on my side who think this is stupid and that, that the actions are stupid and the governments are incompetent and, and they're abusing their power and um, pushing all these treatments and vaccines like and the money grab from pharmaceutical companies. That's how I saw it. And, but eventually I tried to be like, okay, people who see it differently, like that's their reality. Like, and I don't think it's helpful for me to demonize them or to think of them as lesser or stupid. It's like, no, they're just in a completely different reality. We might see each other on the same physical plane, but the mental reality in that world, they're in a completely different world. And I know you can probably share a lot about the different worlds of like ayahuasca when, you know, that you, you go into and the people are in and, and the people entered a different world. There, there, there's a separate reality happening. And it's, we see it so much, all this talk of division that we see, that's what the division is. It's not a difference of opinion of, whatever the topic is, you know, there's so much division on so many levels right now, but it's like, it's beyond a difference of opinion. It's people, the reality has split and maybe it's always been split, but it's more pronounced now. And people are living in different realities and they think that the other side is wrong and, and they have to, that they don't deserve to exist or that they have to be convinced that they're wrong, but we're in different realities. So how do we, what do we do about that? <laughs> I don't think there's any reconciling. I don't think you can, can we merge these realities again? <laughs> I think they can be merged, but that <clears throat> it would have to be through their reality, right? So it'd have to be that CDC or some leader or Fauci comes back on and says, okay, everything's okay. Or whoever the leader is that they're following throughout this, this jargon, who's the Pied Piper of their world. Mm. Like once that world, their core, the root of their world shifts, then that would make their world view shift maybe. But what if the world is meant to turn into fractals? Like it's meant to continually divide yeah. itself. I mean, isn't that what the like law of entropy where everything, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a thermodynamics person, but, <laughs> but the nature of reality is that it's becomes more and more chaotic, more and more complex. And yeah. So what if this is like a natural process of a world's evolution is it continually divides or it's like going through mitosis, you know, like something is being born mm -hmm. and there's like these two, I don't want to say there's like two types of being on this world, but we see that. Like, I would say we would see that in like everyday life. Like you see somebody who's happy living the life they love. I mean, you see it a lot in our neighborhood. Not that we're all like perfect and happy and sunny and shiny, but we live pretty damn good lives down here. You know, and when I hear of what people are experiencing up north, like in the U.S., like your experience when you went to the States, mm -hmm. like 
that's such a different that's a whole other reality yeah but even in the states there are people it's like you could take two people who on the surface their life looks the same they have maybe a similar house similar land um but one is really happy and the other is totally disgruntled about it and like what's the difference materially it looks exactly the same maybe they've had some different life experiences that led them to have a different story about what their life is you know and i think that that to me the one of the biggest teachings and healings from plant medicine is like this mirror you know looking at myself and taking ownership of the story that i'm creating about my life and i uh so I think anyone can change their story about they te- the story of what they tell themselves about who they are. And it seems a lot of the suffering right now is that the story is really, at least in the States, uh, we're pretty U.S. centric when we have this commentary about society, but that there's like a victim story that's uh, very strong right now. And uh, people are really, a lot of people are jumping on that wagon and it just doesn't, I just can't, I don't buy it. It just doesn't lead anywhere if you're a victim and you subscribe to that story, then no, nothing, nothing externally happening is going to take you out of it. You're going to just find other reasons to be a victim and point the finger and point the finger. And, uh, so yeah, I think this journey and COVID, all this pandemic stuff has also been a, a lot of it for me, at least has been about, okay, well, another reminder about you know what's the story that i'm subscribing to that i'm choosing for my life and for my existence and what's the meaning and what's the purpose and uh what do i value i value like sovereignty and freedom and independence and making my choices and not like i i I'm just blows my mind how people just give it all up to governments and what is government it's just people it's people that are addicted to power but they're just flawed people, most of whom haven't really looked at themselves. And they're making choices on my behalf? What? Like, that's, it's more and more preposterous. I used to look at governments as like, I kind of hold them on a, you know, on a pedestal. I was like, oh, they're, subconsciously, I thought they're special, that they have this authority for a reason. But now that I'm getting older and I really see, they're just fucking stupid people too, you know? Like we're all in the sense that we're all stupid people. We're all, nobody has any clue about anything. And some people uh, pretend that they do and that they have the power to tell us what to do. And the only reason they have power is if we let them have it. And too many people are just like, just giving it away and good luck getting it back. (laughs) But that, that goes back to what you were initially saying of making that choice from victim to making yourself the hero of your novel or of your life. And it's like, I feel so many people would much rather be the victim and the little person and say, no, you make my choices for me because that's so much easier. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about what's happening in, in the Ukraine or I don't have to worry about Russia. The government's got it. I don't have to worry about COVID. The government's got it. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you know the government has your best interest in mind? Like you or me, like, how do we know that? We don't. They're, they're, the government isn't a bunch of Gandhis. It's selfish people. They, they'll, talk, they'll talk all about you and me all day and how they have our best interests in mind, but that's bullshit. That's not true. They're humans. They're, like, I know from my own experience, when I wake up in the morning, my first interest 
is like making sure I'm okay and my family's okay because I'm human being. And, and any polit- politician who tells you otherwise is a liar, you know? Like, so it's the problem is not that they, that they selfishly look out for themselves, but that, that they lie about it and that they abuse their position and cause other people to suffer for their own advancement. Continuously. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think of like the, the recent thing with, um, I can never pronounce her name, but I'll say her last name, Maxwell. The trial. Oh, Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell. Maxwell. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so there's a so whole bunch of... It looks like Jizz Lane. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Jizz Lane. Jizz Lane. Jizz Lane Maxwell. I think that's actually how you pronounce it. Just oh, is it? Jizz Lane? Jizz Lane. Well, I'll tell you, um, um, what was the guy's name? Uh, Hunter Biden? No, her husband, uh, who mysteriously died. Oh, Epstein? Epstein. Epstein lived on Jizz Lane. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, go ahead. But uh, I, I just think with that whole scandal, like you have all these really high-level politicians, actors, so forth and so on, who are involved with a massive pedophile ring. Mm-hmm. Where is any of that right now? Yeah. Conveniently not talked about. Oh, the pandemic's hitting right as this trial happens. That's interesting. Hmm. Not only that, but like this whole trial with Johnny Depp and Angel Heard. Like, why is that so publicized? And, like, you're seeing every detail. This poor man's life is being displayed for the whole world to see. Yeah. They have live feeds of his his whole court, you know, and just Lane Maxwell, her court was behind closed doors. Yeah. All we have of images of it are sketches, and they're, like, crappy sketches of what happened in the court. Mm. And they're still not releasing the documents or the names or anybody right. involved. So. If your government was really concerned about massive pedophile rings of people stealing children, wouldn't they tell people? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting watching, you know, like the Epstein trial controversy scandal ended when the pandemic started. The pandemic ended when the Ukraine war started. The Ukraine war ended when Johnny Depp trial started. You know, like there's all these stories that are, kind of pushed to the forefront and it's like oh wait the war in ukraine that was supposed to be world war three a few months ago and now it seems to be kind of an afterthought even though there's something still going on my wife's family in poland they're like yeah there's like two million refugees here it's crazy but like the news cycle determines that that was also another lesson of the pandemic. It's like, wow, this is actually determining how I feel about my life when all of this stuff is not really in front of me. Like, if I don't have COVID right now and my family and friends and people around me aren't dying of COVID, like, why is it, why should I, like, be so worked up about it? You know, it's like, yeah, the, the news cycle and what sells and, you know, it's funny how the war in Ukraine ended suddenly because the news cycle shifted. Now it's about abortion. Johnny Depp trial is over. Now it's uh, <laughs> the whole world is about the abortion question. But I think the the hopefully the key in all of this that people start noticing is like it's this tactic of look over here, look over here. Mm-hmm. Do you think mouse. it's a tactic? Absolutely, absolutely. But that would take some kind of organization. Who's or do you think there's someone organizing that? Or people? Do you think it's intentional? For sure. I mean, I think if you want <clears throat> people to be focused on a, a smaller issue over, like, for example, this pedo ring could put 
thousands of different politicians in jail. Like, of course, look over here, and then look over here, and look over here. Forget about this whole Maxwell thing. Right. That's a that's a huge thing. Yeah, and it keeps getting pushed to the background. And they're all in bed with each other. The media, the big media, and the politicians, and the it's like I forget uh, the new the new press secretary, the White House. Her wife or partner is like a MSNBC person, or I don't know. There's this two minutes conflict of interest, you know, media and politics, and they're all just like in bed with each other and looking out a, for each other. It's such a powerful entity. Yeah. And Tupac even said, "It's only it. as powerful as we give it." For sure. As we pay attention to it, it's like if we just turn our backs to it collectively, then it, the whole thing falls apart. It dies. It relies. It it feeds on attention. It's an attention vampire. Man, you said some awesome one-liners. The government's not a group of Gandhis. And <laughs> the media's an intention vamp or a attention vampire. That's awesome. It is. That's what, yeah, I mean that our um attention is a very valuable very valuable commodity that um that's the whole purpose of, you know, social media and you know, algorithms and how they keep you hooked. It's like your attention is the product that's being sold and um, we can make a choice. You know, I'm, I have my moments. I've watched some Johnny Depp trial, you know, <laughs> I have to say as an aside, like uh, Johnny Depp's really cool. Like uh, he's winning this thing. He's hilarious in the court, in the courtroom. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a battle for our attention. For sure. But <clears throat> I feel like if you know, it's the, the game or the show that they're putting on, you can always watch it and participate. I will say mm-hmm, with the true. Ukrainian thing, I don't know why that caught me more than COVID. Like COVID never really, I never really felt extreme terror. Right. But when the Ukrainian thing went off, that's when I was like, oh, World War Three. Probably because, yeah, the, the mortality rate of a nuclear bomb is higher than that of COVID slash flu. <laughs> Tenfold. <laughs> yeah. Thousandfold. Yeah. It caught me too, man. I was actually... So I was in the States when that was all going off and I was like, oh, are we even going to make it to Peru? Like that was, it, it seemed like Armageddon was just around the corner and it doesn't seem maybe it is, but I don't think so. But that's, that's the thing is like, <clears throat> we have one end world thing, a pandemic, a global pandemic, and then we have another one right behind it. At that point, you know, after I sat down and thought about it logically, Nobody wants World War Three. Nobody. Like, this is why war doesn't sell anymore, because people are tired of it. Yeah. That's why the pandemic works so well, because that was something new. It's kind of like we've been watching it in movies for so many years, 28 right. days later, 28 weeks later, World War Z, whatever you want to call it. Like, right. That was so... You bought into that one already, and that was a great big hit film. And it hadn't happened for real in 100 years, almost to the day, in a weird way. The 19, it was, I think it's 1918 pandemic happening during World War One. the Spanish flu uh, killed millions of people. Mm-hmm. It's called the Spanish flu, but apparently it actually started in some military base in the States. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I think that's what it was. It started in the States, they're pretty sure. But, but yeah. 
I don't know what to think anymore. It does feel like the world's in a very fragile place, or at least people are um, very fragile. No, I've, I feel people are just tired of it. It's like kind of, <clears throat> I think about boot camp when they emotionally stress somebody. They put them on, under a lot of physical stress and mental stress, emotional stress to break them down. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they start programming them. Not, I want to say that for the military, but they do that. Yeah, they... You need to get in line. Yeah. Be, I mean, don't be afraid are, of death. Yeah. You're willingly programmed to be an effective soldier. So what's what's the end game? Control. In this, in the global situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's control of people. I had an insight, and I think I also talked with someone about this, but like the consciousness is awakening, right? It always is awakening slowly. It's different paces, but right now that seems, it seems maybe it's just me that there is an accelerated awakening process happening and all this shit that's pandemic and war and news and all this is like an attempt either conscious or unconscious, an attempt to like keep the control because we're losing it. We're losing control. People are waking up to this stupidity of these power structures and governments and and uh, so it's like an attempt to use fear primarily as a mechanism to just get everyone in line and, you know, sign up for their digital ID and track people. And, uh, you know, I don't think it'll work, you know, eventually. I think that uh, awakening consciousness is un- it's unstoppable. You know, you can you can try as hard as you want to slow it down and it might be ugly for a while, but we'll come through. <laughs> and if not we'll die and we're all gonna die anyway so what's the big deal bro <laughs> you're so morbid man <laughs> <laughs> but it's true <laughs> if you really think about it, it's like well what's the worst outcome we'll die but that was gonna happen anyway so what's so so what it just it makes me think of bufo when we did bufo i just knew every time i sat in front of that damn pipe i'm like i'm gonna die each time I do this mm-hmm. and it, you're just gone mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, <clears throat> but you're not just gone. It's such an incredible experience of like dissolution into infinity. So it's like, Oh, if that's what death is, then why was I afraid in the first place? Right. I exactly, man. I think maybe we were uniquely equipped to navigate like the pandemic and maybe our perception of, of it was influenced probably most likely by those kinds of experiences of like, when you work with plant medicines, you bufo or ayahuasca and you have initiatory powerful experiences, then then the threat of a virus maybe doesn't grip you as much because it's like you've you've tasted that which is the destiny of everybody, which is dying. Well, this goes back to your theory. I mean, not your theory. I, I believe it's true as well that the consciousness is awakening. This is like a global <clears throat> psychedelic experience this global fear, <clears throat> excuse me, or initiation that's happening. It's like pushing people into this super incredibly uncomfortable place, which is what psychedelics do or what plant medicine does. So of course it's awakening. And I feel like the more pressure, and this is what it, actually my favorite idea is, the more pressure they put on humanity, the more they're just waking people up faster. So they're trying to find a way to slow cook us, but do it quickly. And they can't, you can't do both. Yeah. Interesting, yeah, because the pandemic, so many people were just like locked in their 
departments, their whole routine was thrown upside down. So here's another theory I have is like the pandemic was a very traumatizing event for for many people globally. It was a trauma in the sense that many people have led their lives kind of on autopilot. Their routines, their job, they go to work, the kids go to school. You know, it's just like their routine, the day to day. And then all of that was interrupted. And uh, that's traumatizing because your whole program of who you think you are and what you're doing and your purpose gets interrupted completely. And that that interruption, I mean, I saw like two outcomes from that. People either drank a ton of alcohol or took drugs or whatever to numb, to numb from this interruption, or they like started looking within and they got really healthy and, and now they're flying to Peru to drink ayahuasca or you know, they're going, they're working with mushrooms, whatever it is in their, in their home or, um, cause there seems to be a huge demand from what I'm seeing more so than ever for, for plant medicine work, you know? So maybe you perceive that too. People kind of got shook like, shit, I got to look at myself and, um, what's, you know, what's a really great mirror for looking within, you know, well, psychedelic experiences, plant medicines are a way to do that. And then on a deeper level to go to someone who can work with you and, um, not just, not just for you to have a psychedelic experience, but to receive an energetic healing, it amplifies it, you know? So, um, so yeah, you're right. Maybe, I mean, I think that it's a blessing, right? The whole thing was a blessing. It, It kind of woke people and, um, and maybe some people, maybe there'll be a delayed response, you know, maybe they're still, um, drinking a lot because of this whole thing or maybe they're still uh, even more so in a victim state but you have to hit rock bottom at some point before you you know which leads to uh, maybe a return to like a path of awakening and a remembering of what's our purpose here in this life well going into astrology here so for the last think two and a half years we've had saturn jupiter i think saturn jupiter just saturn and jupiter and pluto's now in there in capricorn and capricorn is like governmental structures anytime saturn and uh jupiter are together in capricorn it's like complete overthrow of a government like a government is like in total control Mm -hmm. what's interesting is through astrology the next sign over is aquarius Mm-hmm. And Aquarius is humanity is like the spirit awakened. It's chaos. It's like, it's incredible. It's like, that is the awakening, sp- the age of Aquarius. Uh-huh. And so now Jupiter and Saturn are in Aquarius. And what's interesting about Aquarius is uh, Saturn is ruled by Aquarius or Aquarius is ruled by Saturn, vice uh-huh. versa. And so Saturn is also the people, right? It's not just the government. It's also the people. And so the people have been under this rule of Capricorn, which is also like symbolically the devil and huh. the government and so forth and so on. And now that it's in the sign of people, of humanity, they say, good astrologers, not me, I'm not a good astrologer, say <laughs> say that this is actually the time that people have the power to make changes. Huh, interesting. They actually, the power goes back to the people in this time. 
Uh-huh. So Saturn's going to go in a little bit into the beginning of Aquarius, and then it has to go back into Capricorn. It goes retrograde and goes back into Capricorn, and then it comes back into Aquarius huh. and spends time with Jupiter and... How long does that last for? It'll be two and a half years. Okay. So when is this retrograde thing? The retrograde is soon. So we're going to see, like, after the... last stand of the government. Well, it's, so it's going to go into Aquarius, and we're going to see the tastes of the people getting their power back. And then it goes back into Capricorn. So it goes back into this place where so the government's the government, in power. Right. Right. So it's going to be really interesting. There's going to be this dynamic of getting a taste of what it'll be like to have Saturn back in Aquarius. Interesting. So it's, I just, once I realized, I don't know, it clicked for me the other day. Safa was listening to some uh, astrology podcast and <clears throat> they were talking about, you know, Capricorn and Aquarius. I'm like, wow, isn't it fascinating that the universe has these two signs right next to each other. And I know that they're man-made, but the fact that the ruler and the government is right next to freedom, hmm. liberation, and revolution, so forth and so on. Right. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wonder, when is the retrograde, did you say? Do you know? I don't know, but on our next podcast, can, I will definitely tell you the Because, I mean, I just get this sense, and it's, probably just because of everything that's happened the past few years, that there's more shit coming down the pipeline, you know, more, more quote unquote events randomly quote unquote happening, uh, that, uh, give excuses for people in power to implement more control, you know? So yeah, let's see what happens. You know, there's, there's more shit coming though, I think. But, but I hope like, there's so much a, more awareness. It's like no one's gonna buy it. No, like, some will. But. Somebody broke into your house and you realize they got in through one window. You're gonna bar bar that window up. Bar them all up. Right. You're gonna be ready for the next, you know, whatever intrusion. So we've had our windows broken in twice. You, not in my house, thank God, we're safe here. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> as a global society, we've had our windows broken into by COVID, mm -hmm. and then we had the potential of World War Three. And now we have, uh, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the house has been broken into and a lot of people, are, and the government's like, don't worry, we'll save your house. And then it gets broken into again. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we'll save your house. And some people are still buying that. But a lot of people are like, no, you're not going to do shit. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting harder and harder to believe, especially with how the economy is. Mm -hmm. Like even here in Peru, like, <clears throat> you know, Castillo came in and he had all these promises for the Peruvian people. <laughs> he would make debt disappear. Yeah. He would help. Same promises, different yeah. day. Just crazy. And so <clears throat> what's happened here is prices are through the roof. Food yeah. prices are through the roof yeah. for these people gas, here. Because of gas prices. Gas is insanely gas expensive Gas is here. double what it was when I was here last. The average Peruvian salary is like 50 soles a day. Gas is 20, 20 gallons, or sorry, 20 soles a gallon. Right. Dude, to fill up your tank, it's like a whole day's salary, right? If not more. No, oh, yeah. Like, how does anyone afford that? And then propane, propane's at, I think I paid sixty-five. It's six, yeah, it's between. It, it went down to fifty-nine, I think. Fifty-nine. But when I left, it was thirty-two, thirty-four, um, which it's so less, which is like ten dollars, you know. So now it's twenty dollars, and uh, yeah, that has a huge impact, you know. Massive, massive impact here, and. Um, yeah and you see it you know people are people are scrambling you know it's like 
you know, one of our neighbors, he's like, yeah, we're not cooking with gas now. We cook with wood fire. So, so they were just going into the forest, collecting eucalyptus wood and cooking with that. So I hope it goes back down. <laughs> like, does it ever go back down? But that's the issue is because so much of Peru's economy is based off the U.S. economy. Mm. Like a large portion of it. And well, now China. And now China Peru's as well. Like bending over backwards for China. This is crazy. But the U.S. dollar <clears throat> isn't doing very well. Now the Peruvian soul is doing worse than it's ever done again. It's mm-hmm. going back, which is nice if you make money in dollars. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's it seems like a very steep downward spiral spiral <clears throat> the thing is is that the people here the general consensus is this guy's got to go yeah as in that always been ever since i lived in peru i think this is the fourth president and it's always it's the exact same story on repeat every time i'm gonna do are we gonna do this and that and save this and that and then there's a scandal and he gets kicked out and the next savior comes in who's just as corrupt as the last guy, who's probably friends with the last guy. Like the 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 power structure here is just like so closed. No 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 worker is gonna rise the ranks in Lima and and be president. They're it's all the same people. Descendants of the freaking colonials and pff, nothing's nothing's going to change from those guys. <laughs> but that's the story he sold everybody. Like he came in wearing a hat, a sombrero, like a like a worker's hat from the mountains and came in like I'm one of you. You know, they showed a videos Social of him on a farm. Guy. Yeah. And like <clears throat> and I remember I was in a, when I went to Terrapoto, I was talking to some of the locals there. And they were like that man's a liar. He's not one of us. We know he's not one of us. He needs to go. Mm. He's got to go. And the thing is that I actually believe Peruvians can get rid of their president pretty effectively. They're, yeah. What I love here is like when they protest, they'll they'll shut down the whole region. They'll shut down the roads until their demands are met. And th- th- in the past month, you know, there were a few days. They call it like huelga or paro. And it's a paro means stop. Like they literally put boulders in the roads and nothing moves, nothing happens. And until demands are met for whatever it is, you know, water, water prices, gas prices. I don't know if it much can be done about the gas price, though. It seems to be beyond Peru's control. But the food prices, because there is a lot of food production in Peru. Yeah. But they get a lot of it imported, which is fascinating. Which is, especially here, when everything grows. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I was talking to Bruno uh, before a jiu-jitsu class, and he's like, you ever find it fascinating that you go to a grocery store and you buy a bag of potatoes and they're shipped from Chile? <laughs> really? It makes no sense. It's like we're the biggest producer we're, of potatoes it's in like the potato, world. Potatoes came from here. Like this land, this is where the original potatoes happen. But that's that's the outsourcing. That's like Peru's losing wealth by doing that. Yeah. They're outsourcing. Yeah, because at the highest levels, it's all just a big deal it's not in the best interest of the people it's but the the peruvian leaders who are making these deals to buy potatoes from chile they're raking it in so yeah they get cut like a million dollars here's a million you just sell these there yeah yeah well that's nice thing here though it's a bread basket uh you know all this talk of food shortage like i'm really grateful that um 
it seems the food doesn't have to travel far. You, I mean, we can get everything local. And w- we just made a garden, so we just planted a bunch of veggies and fruits. And yeah, I think it's a good time to learn how to grow our own food, you know, no matter where. Even if I lived in a city, I would do it on my balcony, <laughs> put chickens on the roof, whatever, uh, whatever it takes. I think it's important to kind of, because we're living in Berlin, uh, I realized like it was a pandemic and I was, it just felt so fragile. It's like, I'm totally dependent on a supply chain. This is before all the talk of the supply chain issues, but it's like, man, I would go to the grocery store and just after living here for a while, it just baffled me. Like they're always bringing in trucks. They're stocking the shelves all day because people are buying the food all day. And it's like, well, this is, this is feels weird. And all the food is coming. Some of it's coming from Germany, but a lot of it's coming from like, Africa and Israel and Italy and like what happens if that if that breaks down you know the whole nothing's growing they're not growing food in the cities it was yeah it was um it, it just had me a little bit anxious a little bit on edge you know uh and again it's the the past few years have really brought to light the incompetence of governments you know and and the whole structure is really fragile and and we have to take ownership of our food and lives and more than ever. I think this is what's being shown. It seems. I just watched a, a YouTube video yesterday and I, now I can't remember which war it was, but it was either world war one or world war two. <clears throat> and a lot of the farmers went off to war so what the government told the people to do is everybody turn your yard into a garden. And they called it Liberty Gardens. And the Liberty Gardens produced enough food to feed the whole city during the entirety of the war. Ten times over. And this was something the government actually like supported and was you know really pro. And now it's like if you think of like cul-de-sacs back home or like little neighborhoods back home. If you have a garden in your front it doesn't meet community regulations it doesn't have good grass you just grow grass you can't eat the grass you can't eat grass <laughs> give you worms <laughs> i mean i guess suppose in a pinch you could eat some grass but but yeah what a waste of space if you think about it like we just have lawns just grass which is nice i mean i have some i have some grass it's great for my daughter to like run and like crawl around and play but gr- grow some food too doesn't take much i realize it doesn't take that big of a plot to grow enough veggies to feed the family. Now, I eat meat too, so it gets a little more complicated, you know. But and, and push comes to shove, I can just eat veggies, have some chickens, and eat some eggs. Um, it, but it doesn't take a lot of like this little garden plot. If you, this this would be enough food for more than you two need by far, you know. But again, we live in a place where. There's food growing all around us, so it's a little bit easier. We don't have to think about it too much. But but uh, the talk here is about water. In the mountains? There's the concern of like water because there's so much, so many people moving here in construction that there was not enough water for everybody. And the glaciers are melting and drying out. I don't know. I don't know how, if it's true or how immediate the concern is, but that's the talk in the town right now. I think we need to go climb up into Concha Concha and see how big that lake is. It's pretty big, man. I've been up there. The glacier's pretty big, too. 
But, uh, you know, my friend Jesus, my friend Jesus, he, you know, he grew up here and he said the glaciers up there have definitely shrunk. The Pitu Sirai uh, was, was glacier and snow year round. Now there's, you know, once in a while you'll see it dusting up there, but you don't see a glacier anymore. So and that was 20 years ago. But there's other glaciers in the Andes that are growing. So in Chile, there, there are mountains and glaciers that are getting bigger. So this, th- not all glaciers are getting smaller. It depends where you are. But I mean, the fact that we have, one, we actually have our own water source here in the area is very different than if you think of like, a, uh, let's see. L.A. L.A. doesn't have a water source. Its own independent water. I mean, maybe it does, it's, but the, it's quite weak. It's the, yeah, it's the Colorado River and it comes from far away. Right. So it's the, again, it's kind of like the chain. Like that's one thing I, I actually genuinely feel very safe here in Peru. Because one, the people are so close to the earth. People know how to live without electricity. They know how to live, uh, grow their own food. They have their own chickens, meat, whatever it is. <clears throat> people are super resourceful here. The issue is when you get into like a suburban USA, yeah, where somebody hasn't been around that ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, like, wouldn't know what to do. Well, that's where that's where the like if you have a you know a type X situation or like a I don't know what I'm calling type X or an extreme economic collapse or the grid goes down or something like that people would go and start shooting each other for what they have versus here people would just start bartering some people yeah some people i don't want to make a general assumption yeah i mean i see this happening here though and it's i'm part of the reason it's you know people moving here so a lot of locals are selling their land because they're getting millions of dollars for their land every time a plot of land is sold that's one less what used to be crops now it's it's a house in the lawn. So I don't know. I'm seeing this here, you know, this slow transformation into it used to be that they didn't used to sell land. I found this out from uh, a friend here, a Victor Kero guy. And uh, the idea of selling land is a new concept here, relatively new. It used to be uh, you just, the community would just give land. You, you just share land. You give land to your family. Like No one owned the land, but you took the land and you grew and, and you gifted the land to people and they got married, whatever it was. And um, selling the land is a new concept. And and uh, it's a very lucrative thing now. And so a lot of what used to be farmers are turning into landowners and uh, uh, landlords. And they make plenty of money um, and they buy their food. They don't grow it anymore. So there's still, again, still plenty, lots of food growing here. But there's a slow shift happening. And I can't blame it. I'm... You know, I came here, I'm part of the demand for houses. You know, my house that was built used to be land that was crops. So it's a, you know, I have some conflicted feelings about it. Um, and I don't blame the people for selling land because, uh, geez, that's a lot of money. You can send all your kids to school and you can build houses for everybody. And so, uh, yeah, interesting to see what, what's this like in 20 years, 30 years, you know, and it's going to be very different. Yeah. I mean, it already is. I mean, been here four years in this neighborhood, and there's already... It's a neighborhood now. You it's a neighborhood. a rural place with yeah. a few houses. I moved in, and there was a forest next door, which yeah. was one thing I loved. Yeah. And now um, there's a, a empty lot getting ready to be sold. I know. Where I live now, there was nothing. It was just fields and trees. and It's still very spacious. There's still a lot of land, but, uh, you know, the pandemic brought a lot of people from Lima just like all over the world has happened 
people getting out of cities because they're probably sensing either consciously or subconsciously. This shit's kind of sketchy, the city. city. It's a, like Lima is a desert. It's built in a desert. They don't grow anything. Um, and so a lot of Limeños who had the means got out of there and are buying land here and building houses here. And uh, I don't blame them. I'd do the same. I'd get the hell out of there if I could. Lima's it's terrible. It's, it's one of the worst cities in Peru. Don't ever visit Lima unless you want to eat good food. Yeah, good food. A couple cool neighborhoods, but um, yeah, traffic. Terrible traffic. But I, I think, you know, another thing that we have here <clears throat> are these communities that are isolated that still create, like, they're meant only for food. No expat wants to live up in Concha Concha to hike three hours to live up, live up there. Live up at 15,000 feet. That's one unique thing that we do have that actually supplies a lot of things as well. Mm. Like, you watch them carry their potatoes down the mountains. Yeah. And potatoes and sheep and alpacas. What they do, <laughs> perfect. There's your meat supply. But again, that that community, have you, Concha Concha, half the buildings are empty. A lot of those people have left. They've moved to Cusco, they moved to the city, enticed by the modern life, you know. So, I think it's a trend, you know. The Queros too. Our friend who's a Quero, you know, he does despachos, he does ceremonies. All, none of his kids are doing that. They've all moved to Cusco. They're in university and wanting to be lawyers and doctors and you know and whatever else mechanics and um so it's a trend you know and that's just what it is eventually it comes full circle you know it's like it takes i think it takes a while in like a culture's development and culture's lifespan that it it moves away from its roots and actually what was the healthiest happiest existence they had it moves away from that and it takes a while, maybe a few generations, to realize that that doesn't work. And then there's a a, re, a revival of the traditions. And you see that with Shipibos, right? Like, it kind of died off. But there's a revival because they realize that people want medicine and look, it really, it's helpful. And, you know, being on the medicine path is it's difficult, but it's also very fulfilling you know, just on a, to the soul. So, But that's what I think... <clears throat> Man, the perfection of this universe is astounding. Just how a lot of Westerners now are so fascinated with these traditions, with growing their own food, with um, learning their traditions. And because of that excitement and that that, uh, energy that's going there, a lot of these kids are, you know, for sure the kids are turning away from it. They're going to their mobile phones or their computers or whatever it is, university. But a lot of them at the same time are like, wait, why are these people so fascinated with my culture? Like, these are the people I'm watching on TV, and they're here in my country. Yeah, and they don't like their life. They're unhappy. <laughs> why are you here? Because I hate my I'm life. I'm depressed. <laughs> why are you depressed? Because I, I don't know my purpose. Well, let's drink some ayahuasca then. Yeah, you know, someone emailed me the other day, and they were like, considering coming to drink ayahuasca and they were like but but i don't know like isn't it i don't want to be taking from this culture and 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 like in in this person's mind it was like coming to drink ayahuasca is like stealing from them and abusing this medicine and it's and i was like the ones i've talked to firstly no one's forcing them to offer it they're really grateful for it and in fact, if people like you weren't coming here, this tradition might be all but dead by now because it was dying. And so 
please come <laughs> if you're called to it because uh, that's what keeps it alive. You know, it's an interesting, uh, again, full circle because it was like uh, Europeans, Spanish that came and kind of stomped it all out with their Christianity and their fake Christianity. And, uh, but now it's like some of the descendants of those people coming here looking for healing from that same thing that was stomped out previously. So uh, these these uh, indigenous traditions, man, they're like, that's the, the wisdom, man. That's what's going to save the world. And the more people that come and learn from that and start offering that, um, that's what's needed, in my view. That's that's our pathway. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's actually, we're in the midst of this. Like you and I are kind of in the center of this whirlwind of people coming through and like, you know, one on one side being the bridge for the, you know, the Shipibo or whatever the culture is of mm -hmm. this ancient wisdom or this old wisdom. And then two, you know, having witnessed it ourselves, gone through it and feel, I mean, we don't hate our lives here. We, you know, we're living according to some principles that are, that feel more grounded to me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting process to watch all these people, and, and like you said earlier on in the podcast, is like how the interest for plant medicine has increased tremendously. Mm -hmm. Like I think every center I know is booked full for mm -hmm. somewhat two years, three years. Like I don't know, yeah, if you yeah. So I mean, we're booked through for a whole year. We have a waiting list for next year. We haven't even made the schedule yet, <clears throat> and it's just people are recognizing that these material things were fading away. These material structures or these firmer structures are melting. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but what's left? Yeah. What is I? left? Yeah, totally. Yeah. There is something really fulfilling. We were talking about before we recorded, like, like when I lived in the States, I lived in New York, you know, and I lived in the city, the fast life working in a bar and, uh, was just busy and just working and making money but I was so depressed and I didn't know what my purpose was. And here, like yesterday, I literally, my day was like part of, you know, part of my work involves, you know, I'm in front of the computers, emails and communications, but it's about stuff that's fulfilling to me. But I spent like six hours moving a pile of wood, <laughs> firewood that was delivered and I had to like move it to the house. And then I played in the grass with my daughter and that was it. And, uh, and then it was bedtime. And I just felt so complete. I moved wood, sent some emails, played with my daughter. Like nothing else was needed, you know? And maybe that's part of getting older too, is just like the simple things are really fulfilling. Like just like moving wood is such a grounding, like uh, primal thing that going for a hike in the mountains, you know, just being outside. And then making a fire at night, ending the day with a fire in the fireplace. Like, I don't, I guess I used to think that fulfillment would come from fame and fortune, you know, but that just seemed to make things really complicated and depressing, that infinite pursuit. And one thing I've learned here, and it doesn't have to be here. I could learn this anywhere, but I happen to be here learning it is that, um, just to stop chase. you don't have to chase anything. Just like, it's fucking beautiful. Life is beautiful to just be in the grass and move some wood and work on the garden. Sometimes people come and offer them some medicine. And that's it. It don't have to complicate everything. 
that's that's like a that's a that could be like a haiku move wood send email play in grass there is some kind of saying about chop wood some taoist before enlightenment chop wood yeah uh carry water after enlightenment chop Chop wood wood, carry carry water water. yeah i'm still at the before enlightenment part but i'm cool with it man (laughs) (laughs) like or doing the dishes like I used to have a story that doing dishes suck. Now I feel like I'm doing the dishes a lot. There's always dishes, but that story for whatever reason isn't there anymore. And I'm just doing the dishes and I don't feel like a victim of doing the dishes anymore. It's almost enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's pretty neutral, but I don't, I used to, I used to be really depressed and, and, um, you know, it's a lot of reasons lot of reasons that I didn't know about you know trauma obviously but also like diet exercise routine daily practice a lot of things that I wasn't doing in my life that I didn't know about but a lot of it was about the stories that I, my mind was telling me that had a grip on me that like I'm a victim of the dishes or I'm a, a victim of uh, my circumstances and um, just like that story is just running all the time it was so negative and that's depressing and it took a while, and I have to thank plants for this, is just to, like, firstly shine a light on the fact that that story's running. <laughs> and that the story's not me. It's literally just a story. This is just running. Like, I'm not that. And then once that realization happened, it was a gradual process of, like, the story just kind of died. It's just lost because I stopped giving it power. So it's like, again, what we give our attention to and what we give our power to that determines our experience of our life and... But also diet and exercise. That's the other thing here. We eat, we eat, like, uh, it's really rare that I open a package of food. All I do is I open peels, banana peels, <laughs> or the skin of the chicken. But it's, but it's all, there's no packaging, right? So it's just, like, our compost fills immediately. Because that's all we eat is just, like, you know, fresh food. And I think that's also really really helpful for depression just like diet and exercise and movement plants also really help being outside being outside all these things that i just maybe it's just getting older maybe they wouldn't have helped when i was 25 and super depressed but i think they would have like when i was 25 and super depressed i would just sit on the couch and like eat junk food and uh watch tv and like and I wondered why I couldn't get out of the depression, you know, and that was one of the reasons, you know, but at the time I, I'm trying to learn to be compassionate, uh, with when, cause I talk about like the victim mentality. A lot of people have in the States for, for a while. I was just like, well, just stop being a victim. But now I'm seeing like they, they're not choosing that. They're not consciously choosing, or no, they're not. They have to go through this right now. This is just their their stage of their life, whatever it is. They're not. They didn't choose to be a victim right now, or to tell themselves that. And so, just like to have compassion for where people are at, because I've been there a lot of those places, and but it's like having compassion while still holding people accountable for like taking responsibility for themselves. And, and, and if they come to me and 
get into the story about being a victim, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sort of like try to point it out. They're like, Hey, that's your story about yourself. Like, so compassionately holding space for it, but not buying it. You know what I mean? Like not feeding it, not feeding it and not accepting that they're a victim. Well, I think about how we, we would coach people through, you know, both of us would coach people through plant medicine. Mm-hmm. If you're facilitating someone and they're like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm a piece of shit. You know, I fucking hate my life. I want everything to change. Oh, do we sit there and be like, yeah, you are a piece of shit. Yeah, you you should, you know, you just live in hell. That's just it. Or do we try and point out what it is that's creating that? And that's like our main job if we're facilitating somebody is not, it's not, to, we're not going to give you the door. We're going to be like, well, what, what is th- making the choices that's putting you in the situations that's feeding these mentalities? And that, and I guess this is why, you know, on our podcast here, we're so negative about media or like mainstream media is just because what are you feeding yourself in that? Like, what is, what is that, what is the narrative they're sharing with you? And is that really your narrative? You know, <clears throat> really great. Uh, one of our fans and listeners, he came by and he gifted me a book of Bill Hicks's stand-up comedy. So, I'm very, very grateful for that. It was a very sweet gift. Um, it's a very special gift. I bet you've memorized the whole thing by now. Not yet. <laughs> I got to be careful because then I'll never, I'll just be quoting Bill Qu- Bill Hicks the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, Bill Hicks, he talks about CNN headline news. He's, you ever watch CNN headline news for, I don't know, say, any more than 20 hours a day. It's the most depressing fucking thing you will ever do. War, famine, death, AIDS, destruction. War, famine, death. Then you look outside your window and it's just... Where is all this shit happening, man? And I and I think about that every time I turn the news on because I'm guilty of it. I turn it on because I'm like, I need to know what's going on. I don't know where that, that core thought comes from, but we all have it. Like, I gotta be somewhat informed of what's happening in the world <laughs> and he was way ahead of his time man he was calling it out when cnn was still respectable like <laughs> like to most of us that's crazy it's true and it's still the same thing just even more so because now we have screens in our pocket so cnn's with us all the time cnn being any media you know like it's so true like one thing i another thing i've learned oh a lot of this was iboga showing me like the the imprints that that media that any kind of consumption of content that it's not just like if you watch a, a movie it's not just you're spending two hours of that movie that movie is embedding your itself in your subconscious and it's embedding itself and it's and somehow becoming a part of the program of your life and and I, I I've learned to be super discerning with what I put in there because it, it doesn't just go away. It, it perhaps for people who have more awareness about that, they can watch something and not take it on so much. But just watching violence and watching the news and all this stuff, it's like that's that's that you're you're just you're programming yourself, and it's going to impact how you see yourself in the world. And it's not reality. It's 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 a narrative. And uh, for whatever reason, iboga because for me it's just a very brain mental medicine. It goes into my memories, and it just, it made my brain seem like a computer hard drive. It was just like 
Look at all the shit in there. Let's delete that. You see how that's running your life? You see how that thing is controlling? You see how that program is running? Look at that virus. There's another virus. There's another virus. And it would kind of like show me and then just like delete them in a way, you know, it's really cool. I, I, ayahuasca does this too. I think like, you know, with a skilled person sitting with you, like you, like you, you help people and quote me, tell me if I'm wrong, but like you helped, you, you can see that too. And you help to clear those one way I call it a program or a virus, you know, you can also call it an energy or whatever it is, but it's like, it's like an accumulation of things. And some of it's from traumas, from things that happen in our life. And, uh, and it's, it's ultimately, it's not the thing that happened is what we tell ourselves about the thing that happened. That's the, that's the virus in a way. So, so, um, yeah, just now I'm just even more discerning about like what I consume because, um, that, 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 that adds up, that becomes me, that becomes my experience, you know? So, well, it makes me think of like, psychological thrillers these this genre of media <clears throat> i don't know what it is about psychological thrillers but they seem to stick in my mind more than anything else and then i'm like oh duh they're saying it right there a psychological thriller why are they playing with my psychology why why does somebody have the interest to want to manipulate my psychology and this is the thing with like you know, like what you're sharing about ceremonies, you know, iboga or ayahuasca or wachuma or, you know, whatever the plant medicine is, it's looking for these things that are out of, out of a line of natural growth, natural beauty or natural, the natural state of your being. And so, you know, like this plant you pointed out in coming into my yard, it's growing up my fence. Now this, this plant, when it first was here, was in this tiny pot and it was growing but it wasn't doing very well. And once we moved it into the dirt here, it started growing exponentially. This is massive. This is actually, you just pointed it out. I'm like, oh, wow, that is actually way bigger than it was. Um, and so by changing the circumstance or the container that it was in, this plant is now able to thrive. Now, what do, what do we do with our minds? And, and this is my thing that I've been thinking about so often recently is like we still no matter what, like even with plant medicine, we're still not reaching the full potential of what it is that a human being can be. And and again, it's like, what are the core programs that are limiting us from these things? And like, how deep does it go? And so the dissecting of that process is first understanding your, your initial, what is your running operating system as you sit in front of me or as I sit here? And my running operating system has closed loops. It has all these kind of definitive ends and fire is hot and I can't fly and so forth and so on. <clears throat> Those are extreme examples of what my mind wishes it could do. But within that, there's still a limiting factor. And I listened to this gentleman. His name is Julian. He's a kind of a motivational speaker and men's, uh, uh, not men's. He just does motivational speech speeches. But one thing he said to people is, don't ever say, I don't know. He says, as soon as you say, I don't know, your thought processes shut at, I don't know. And so if you stop it, you're basically, you're, you're limiting the expansiveness of the mind by saying, I don't know. Instead, he used like a, an example with money. He says, you know, a lot of people say, I can't afford that. That's again, another kind of a brick wall of stopping. Instead, you should ask yourself, how can I afford that? 
or I may not understand the concept now, but how can I understand the concept? There's a lot of things that are not within my realm of understanding right now, but I hope to continue to expand that horizon of understanding. And if I'm allowing somebody else to determine what it is that I'm understanding, I'm limiting that faction a thousandfold, you know, with what, whether it's watching a movie, some psychological thriller that's putting terrors into my mind, or, you know, I'm choosing to watch things that are enlightening. And, and there are, there's incredible media out there that's quite fascinating. But even within that, it's very rare to find a few and far between, you know. Um, yeah, it's how do we continue to make our minds limitless in every situation? And that, I think that starts with the killing of the victim or stopping of the victim mentality of like, I don't think I can ever move beyond this layer. Oh, I'm stuck here. Yeah. Like what happened in the past to me or to, you know, my family or ancestors, like that, that's the reason I can't do anything. That's like, that's the end. That's, that's the end of any possibility. And it's interesting that, the the mainstream political narrative and media narrative is like all about reinforcing that that mentality and on the surface if you don't pay attention it's like oh they're just having compassion for victims you know and and giving them you know trying to empower them no they're perpetuating that mentality to so that they can stay in power because if there are no more victims then there's no more abusive leaders yeah, they need us to be victims. So the, it's a very, very, it's a manipulation tactic. And uh, because if, you know, people wouldn't vote for certain people if they didn't feel like victims. But because they feel like victims, they believe that they vote for the certain people that are somehow going to rescue them. But no, they're just going to make it look like they're rescuing them. Meanwhile, they're actually just making them feel like victims continuously over and over again. And in the short term, it might seem like an easier path because you get money and you get uh, you get benefits for being a victim. But then you're just going to be stuck there because uh, it's like you're getting bribed to remain in, as a victim. Well, like you said, the, the victim needs the abuser and the abuser needs the victim. Yeah. Like it's a this codependent relationship and how much of American culture is based on this victim and abuser and how much does that continually separate us from actually being, you know, a thriving country or humanity in general. Mm -hmm. There's always some reason we can say that, oh, well, I can't do this because, you know, my parents didn't have millions of dollars, so I can't have a huge mansion. But again, it's this materialistic outlook of like, that's where the victim mentality lands is. I don't have that, so I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. That's not. It's it's this like short end, this stop yeah. sign. Yeah, and there's a lot of like billionaire hate going around right now, right? Like, I wanted to make a T-shirt just like billionaires need love too. Because firstly, I wouldn't want to be a billionaire. Uh, well, I mean, I, if if you dropped off a billion dollars in my house, I wouldn't like burn it, but. But it sounds like a pain in the ass. Like, there's this idea that somehow billionaires are just living on cloud nine. And it's like, no, they're pretty stressed out and they're obsessed. And, you know, <laughs> firstly, secondly, uh, if you're so obsessed with hating billionaires, all that tells me is that you're probably more obsessed with money than they are. 
all your hatred is is because you want it, but by hating them, you're never going to get it. And so you're just going to hate them more. It doesn't make sense. And, uh, but billionaires, I would, I don't want that. I don't want that life. I don't want to be a billionaire. I love, I'd love to have more money and it's important. I recognize my own like limiting thoughts around it, you know, but, uh, billionaires need love too (laughs) because they're just people. They're people with bigger numbers than me. Who the fuck cares? Whatever. They're going to die too. And they're going to die. There's a good chance they'll die worrying about their money. Like, who cares? Whatever, man. Yeah, maybe they fly private jets and they eat fucking caviar. Like, I can, I'll eat fresh vegetables real cheap and I'm probably better off. <laughs> I love our food here. Yeah. Like, Anywhere. The cheapest food is veggies. You can grow them or you can buy them locally. You know, just get some veggies. You know, you don't have to be a billionaire to eat the healthiest food. So why? Why the billionaire hate? Why is it? Why are we all blaming the billionaires for everything? It's Elon Musk's fault. I happen to think he's doing some cool things, you know, like. He just bought Twitter. Yeah. Like if I had billions of dollars, yeah, I would, I would do something like that. He didn't buy it to make money. He bought it on a principle he believes in you know so anyway billionaires need love too if you're a billionaire and you need some love come on i'll give you a hug <laughs> we'll make you shirts yeah <laughs> billionaires need love too i wanted to wear that in berlin because berlin even though the you know the berlin wall fell the uh the uh the aftertaste of communism is still strong there's a lot of like communist graffiti and you know, really? Yeah. 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 People are like, I mean, it's a, it's a cool, it's an interesting culture. A lot of, you know, rebellious people, but they're not really rebellious. They're just subscribing to an idea that's the opposite of what's, you know, predominant in the world. And it's communism. And I'm thinking, good luck. Go ahead and bring about your communism. Let's, you know, let's look at every time that's happened before and yeah, enjoy it when it happens. Good luck. You'll be like, then you'll be on the other side fighting for freedom <laughs> the fascinating thing is people want history to repeat but they don't want history to yeah repeat. they want whatever history they didn't live themselves to repeat because the grass is always greener again it's not about the external world it's about the grass within my friend read Karl Marx mow your internal lawn don't worry <laughs> about the other grass oh, your internal <laughs> you're full of one-liners today <laughs> tend to your personal garden don't worry about Elon Musk's garden. So, well, I, you know, I want to just recognize and acknowledge all of our listeners and our fans who have just continually supported us during this almost year-long break. Like, that's been super heartwarming. Yeah. Like, we're just two dudes talking in the backyard in Peru. <laughs> yeah. And, and to hear your love and support has been really amazing we broke 5,000 downloads which is what yeah (laughs) who are you who are you people we love you all we just love you you're amazing yeah it's like when we stop recording that people the downloads increase and not that I mean it's I don't even know what 5,000 downloads like uh, 5,000 is beyond a number I can like picture of like but it's not about that but just knowing that um yeah, people are 
we received so many like nice messages and emails too after we stopped recording so and run into people who have been listening so yeah it's cool when i'm talking to you i i've I have a picture of other people that are i'm talking to as well so um yeah this podcast is it's for me too it's like therapy <laughs> yeah, this is our our weekly therapy session our, yeah totally so <laughs> it feeds us just as much yeah but we do appreciate it. we see you all we see you in our minds right now yeah and we send you all radiating love yes from the center of the universe exactly sweet well let's we wrap it up i'm gonna go home and help out with our little baby nice she's almost one now very soon yeah it's crazy time's flying well well love you man i love you too man love you everybody we love you guys see you next time on beyond words ciao peace